0: Um, hi, I'm Cherry, um, that is my name. Uh, I started out as a photographer and visual artist for over 12 years, but disability meant I had to uh, find a new direction. And so here I am today as an accessibility and inclusion advocate. Um, I work independently, and I've been talking with developers for about four years now, and I also stream on Twitch four to five days a week. Um, okay, I can, I can do technology, it's, it's cool. Um, So, this is where I usually like to crack a joke about how public speaking is hard and using the podium as a shield for plus 10 confidence is a good idea. Except podiums aren't really made for people who are only four foot high. Now, I do actually also want to point out that Microsoft are awesome and I was offered a ramp for the podium but I like to make my jokes so. It is a kind kind of a good illustration of assumptions made about the kinds of people that can do certain things like giving presentations or even playing games. So coming up, I'm going to be sharing with you why you're all so important to me and the huge difference that gaming has made to my life. I have a couple of practical specifics about barriers and hopefully I'll have time to touch a little on representation today. A nice example to start is you'll see I'm reading my presentation, which some say is a big no-no for public speaking. But I am autistic and I have a little trouble with verbal communication and also difficulty with memory, so this is how I am personally able to share my story. I gave a version of this presentation at the Games Accessibility Conference this year where I met Brannon and I got pretty emotional. I have written here that I have no idea if it's going to happen, but it's it's there, so. (laughs) This is your warning. If you want to leave, I won't take it personally. Um, I also do recognize a few of you from that conference, but I have built on the talk, and we're now up from 5,700 words to 9,800. So, buckle in. A good problem to have is that a lot of what I've said has already been said today. So, I hope this will come across as a bit of a personal exclamation point for you to take away. So, yes, this really is going to be my very personal love letter. Things are about to get even more awkward. I'm sorry. That is my only visual joke. I'm sorry to my visually impaired people in the audience, but it says not sorry. (laughs) Just in case you wondered. My hope today is that either I'll inspire you with my tendency to overshare, or at the very least, make things so awkward that you can't help but think of me. Many people who love games like to brag about how they've been playing games since before they were born. Well, I am no different. I really have loved games since before I have solid memories of childhood. I think my first game was probably either Space Invaders or Microsoft Flight Simulator. (laughs) Long ago, before I even knew what accessibility was, they got me through some big scary things. Platformers like Rainbow Island and Carve Up, I don't think anyone knows that game, (laughs) were the first time I experienced true escape from a very difficult childhood. Pokemon Red was my co- greatest comfort in the late 90s as I got myself through high school while also being homeless. This is, this is where my spark of adoration began. Games have been so important to me that I even have a couple of slightly silly tattoos from the early 2000s. They feature relatively obscure characters from the sequels to Bubble Bubble and Time Splitters. <laughs> in my late 20s, I was working a rather unhealthy 60 hours a week and I didn't have much room for solo games, but most of my time socializing was with friends, Zoe, <laughs> um, who are also developers, and we played a lot of rock band and Left 4 Dead. Everything changed at 31 when I had a very unexpected and sudden stroke due to an artery in my neck tearing spontaneously. It turned out I had a ver- this connective tissue disorder that makes me very fragile. At the time, I had no idea how much this would affect me, and this is where my love of games evolved into an obsession with accessibility. While nursing the constant headache the artery tear had left me with, I remembered something. I'd wanted to play Dishonored. I was so damn excited, but I'd been too busy to play. Stealth, mystery, thieving, roguing, was just the pick-me-up I needed. I was wrong. I started up the game, and within five minutes of the tutorial, I was almost buffing in my lap. I wish I would be in my normal hyperbolic self, but I'm not. The game gave me severe vertigo and nausea. I kept telling myself that it was just the after effects of the artery tear and I would get better. And I would be able to play this amazing game that everyone else was so excited about, but I was wrong again. Every time I tried to play the game, the result was the same, it was as if I was super drunk. When I first tried to play Dishonored, I thought the problem was me. Even my developer friends were baffled at the physical response I was having. And here's the thing, most people know about motion sickness, but it's not very common to hear of a reaction so strong that someone just can't play a game at all. But we do exist. Dishonored wasn't the first game I'd hit a barrier so hard I couldn't play, but it was significant for me because it was the moment I discovered accessibility. It was the moment I realized it wasn't me, it was the games. While discussing the barriers does mean I have to talk about the games I struggle to play, I have something more important to share. I want to tell you, Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, that video games have saved my life. I don't want to sugarcoat it, and I definitely don't want pity, but I want to emphasize why my love for games runs so deep. The last five years have been a real struggle, from decreasing bodily and cognitive function to numerous hospital stays. Just a year ago, I was very sick in the hospital after also recovering from heart surgery. I've lost many friends, communities, my career, a lot of what made me me. After my stroke, my disabilities progressed very quickly. I went from being a mildly disabled person who could live a somewhat normal life, to someone who is profoundly disabled in some ways, with several permanently implanted medical devices that make me an actual cyborg. Cool augments aside, I can no longer do the many, many of the things I love. Living with progressive disability can be really isolating, and I want to be brutally honest. I simply can't do many of the things my non-disabled friends take for granted. The fact I'm autistic also plays into this. I'm different. I don't fit in. It's both physically and mentally isolating, but games have saved me. From my love of games, I found the accessibility community. I found purpose, and I learned to be proud of who I am and what I've been through. Aside from my work with advocacy, I found a community just talking about games. I started out by, believe it or not, live tweeting the games I was playing. Each game even got its own hashtag. This led to people encouraging me to stream on Twitch. It took me several years to get the courage to do it, and I'm sure I don't need to go into the reasons why I was afraid to put myself in in that environment. But What finally spurred me on was meeting with the coalition last year and some of Microsoft's gaming for everyone. They're in the audience, this is actually making me more more emotional than this part (laughs) normally does. But the team encouraged me to continue to be brave and to really show the world what inclusion is about. I thought I was going in to help them with my expertise, but by involving me, I felt not only like I mattered and like they were ma- taking inclusion to the next level, I felt empowered to be bolder. Through streaming, I felt I can give back some of what helped me through my darkest times. I found a community of people like me, but also people not like me at all. Just by being out there, and both, both showing how inclusion matters and finding ways to break down the assumptions people have about disability. When we can play the same games as the rest of the community, they unite us despite how different we are. Games can be more than mere entertainment. They empower us. Inclusion at every level of the industry makes a difference. Just like I was encouraged to move forward with how I can make a difference, I want to encourage people like you who are working hard making the games, making the games for us to think of it as integral um, to the inclusion that's for us. Days like today that include disabling experiences go a long way to this and means so much. But don't be afraid to reach out to us before and during development, promotion, and even after release. Cultivate a network of disabled people like myself and others here today who are experienced in working with the development process, actively hire disabled people. Include us in consulting and testing. I can't stress enough that you should never make the assumption that you're getting accessibility right. A real-world example is when people tell me a conference like GDC has good wheelchair accessibility. But 98% of the booths are standing height and the entire place is carpeted so it feels like I'm wheeling through grass. Feedback from the general community can also improve games post-release when it is possible to patch issues. I know this isn't always easy because the Internet can be a hostile place for games development. I really have sympathy for this element of unnecessary toxicity that we all face. Unfortunately, I've seen many genuine accessibility issues that may have been overlooked get lost. People's emotions can run hot when they're excluded because games mean that much to them. While I frequently spend time translating people's frustrations so that it's constructive, it can be hard to get the feedback to the right place. And while it's not always possible to patch for an issue post-release or late in development, a place for feedback can still be an invaluable resource. Just a note though, not everyone knows the barriers they're facing are an accessibility issue. So language centered around feedback should be as inclusive as possible too. Similarly, releasing accessibility and gameplay information such as what settings and controls are available to games release can make a huge difference. Parts of people's frustration happens as a result of spending their money on something it turns out they can't play at all, is painful, or it doesn't have the settings they need. The disappointment of facing barriers or being excluded is palpable. So let's rewind a little. I want to share a bit more about why games mean so much to me. Games have been my company, community, adventure, therapy. They've even been pain management. I live with chronic pain. It's constant. Distraction is an important treatment tool. Games that are my distraction. They're how I cope with intense playing flares and they transport me to another world. So when I say games save my life, I really mean it. Just like non-disabled players, games allow me to experience worlds, adventures, and abilities I'll never have. Even though this is common with people who love games, I'd say it's potentially more profound for disabled people. The sense of awe and excitement I get from riding a machine across beautiful lands in Horizon Zero Dawn, pause at people get upset about calling it Horizon. <laughs> scaling buildings and mountains in Assassin's Creed, or surviving the weird and harsh winters of The Long Dark, is an intense and emotional journey for me. I've lost a lot and some things I've never had. I'm no longer able to hike like I used to. I can't spend hours baking to de stress or taking photos of every single thing. But games have given this to me and so much more. I spent literally hundreds of hours, I'm not joking, taking photos in games like Horizon Zero Dawn, Assassin's Creed, Origins, and Hellblain Senua's Sacrifice. I was a professional photographer for 12 years. It was who I was but I can no longer hold a professional camera, let alone work on a photo shoot. But there I am taking photos of the characters I adore, or of the incredible worlds they inhabit, all with highly realistic artistic control. All of those games also made me cry, surprise, surprise, on several occasions, because the depth and beauty of the writing and world building. The games you all work so hard to make for us bring me so much. I have such deep connections to the games I love. It's not just the deep or profound stories, it's the fun, challenging, exciting gameplay, too. I'll never be able to thank you all as much as I'd like. The games I love make me feel holier than I can in the society we have today. I'll remember the ones that made access as effortless for me as it was for everyone else. And what exactly is disability? Sitting here in my wheelchair, I look disabled. It's kind of the go-to, but my inability to walk very well is only one aspect of how disability affects me, and I haven't always used a wheelchair. Much of disability is invisible, and there was a time I didn't identify as disabled despite needing accessibility. It doesn't matter what someone's background is or their age, anyone can be disabled. Statistics and user research tell us a lot. Such as 20 to 30% of gamers identify as disabled, but that doesn't include people facing milder, highly stigmatized, or situational barriers, such as people with reading difficulty like dyslexia, or maybe even long term and temporary injuries like RSI, tendonitis, and bone breaks. I have a friend whose color blindness is mild enough, he just refers to it as a deficiency. He's never had a formal medical diagnosis, yet it's enough that it affects his ability to pick colors in games that have fancy color pickers without any presets, like color wheels. There is ability to distinguish details in the backgrounds of many FPS games. Disability is a huge spectrum that's not only defined by how someone's body and mind functions, but by a mismatch between that and our environment. For example, the fact I use a wheelchair isn't disabling in itself, it's actually quite, quite freeing. The disabling factor is that things like podiums aren't made for me, except there are ramps sometimes. <laughs> I am multiply disabled, I face a number of different barriers and my capabilities can fluctuate throughout the day or week. This makes me a somewhat complex case in terms of accessibility. My needs change frequently, even sometimes in the middle of playing a game. Even though I'm particularly complicated, I'd say most disabled people I know have more than one impairment. The list is kind of long, so I'll try and sum it up in terms of how they might affect my gaming. First, cognitively, I'm autistic, have ADHD and learning difficulties. I also live with something called brain fog, which is a fluctuating thing that can range anywhere from mimicking a brain injury to mildly impaired problem solving in memory. My motor disabilities can be described with overly complicated medical names, but basically I struggle with coordination, frequent injury and strength that gets worse with time. Just one example is that as I use my muscles, I go from being someone excellent at games, I'm a killer sniper, to someone who frequently screw screws up and who wastes a whole cliff of bullets frantically shooting the tree in the distance as I miss every shot. I generally laugh about it because it's all terribly embarrassing. And of course, none of these impairments like to stay in their own lane, and they all cause friction with each other that can be worsened by the world around me. Wow, I mean, how on earth does anyone account for all of these in a single person, let alone across a diverse player base with hundreds or thousands of players with disabilities? I believe inclusion is really not that much different than accounting for normal human variation. I would even argue that disability is normal human variation. Breaking it down, the spectrum can seem fast and complex. Working in accessibility advocacy, I know firsthand how overwhelming it can be. I empathize greatly with games developers and those behind the scenes who are working so hard to bring us the things we love. I'm sure if you're here, you know having empathy for your audience informs good design. Actually, that's probably why Brandon invited me up here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I believe empathy goes two ways and I want you all to know and feel that we get it. Many of us disabled gamers know the struggle of accessibility and inclusion. We live and we breathe it. We also know the labor of love, complexities and difficulties of development. We know how hard you're working, we see you and we appreciate you. So we've acknowledged that accessibility can be monumental, but I also gently want to say, maybe it's not as complicated as it might seem. Options, options go a long way to helping empower us to navigate our own impairments and the myriad of ways they interact. Accessibility isn't just good UI design or difficulty settings, but it also maybe doesn't need to fundamentally change the gaming experience for non-disabled players. All gamers love options. I haven't once seen a gamer complain about too many options you know, okay, I'm sure someone has because there are gamers that enjoy a good whinge. Warframe. Warframe has so many options, it would take me several hours just to go through them. And all my non-disabled friends rave about them. Most of my frustrations as a disabled gamer could have been sold had the right options been given to me. Now, I can never cover everything in a single talk, so this is nowhere near exhaustive, but with any luck it is motivating. There's the peripherals, controllers, mouse, keyboard, and the like. There are so many solutions. Historically, many of them are hacks, custom builds, or dripped down to us from competitive gaming, and are generally very expensive. I use analog stick extenders, a one-handed controller instead of keyboard, among other things, including a very non-traditional desk setup in my living room. And of course, there's the adaptive controller. A launch, I was very excited and emotional. Gave, sorry, I gave a very excited and emotional live stream, or I got to show off my prototype as Tara talked about. I didn't quite expect to get that emotional. Um, You'd think I'd expect it by now, but I don't. (laughs) Rivers of tears streaming down my face because it is a big deal. It's a huge exclamation point on everyone's hard work for inclusion. It loudly proclaims that we are here and people better get used to it already. Some rightly say this is long overdue. People have been pushing to include disabled players since the. Since gaming first became a serious hobby back in the 80s, groups like Able Gamers, Special Effect, and Warfighter Engaged have long been working hard to create solutions for us. When I first began to really struggle to play, I was able to develop my own solutions thanks to the vast knowledge of my friend Steve at Able Gamers. Now, I try not to pull punches, so I don't mind being the person who kindly reminds everyone that while I'm over the moon with the adaptive controller and co pilot, they aren't a fix. In fact, there's a greater need than ever before for accessibility. It will go a long way to breaking down barriers for physical disabilities, but the adaptive controller won't solve all the issues those of us with limited mobility face, and it's very important to remember that many of us will still use traditional controllers and other third-party solutions. Not to mention, we have a ways to go for being truly inclusive for cognitively disabled, blind, and deaf gamers. The games themselves must be made as accessible as possible. The adapter controller isn't a fix for accessibility. It will be a means of access people didn't have before. There will be more disabled gamers than ever to cater to, and our expectations have now blossomed. We expect accessibility, and when we're excluded, it hurts. Last week, a new Pokemon game was announced, and it seemingly requires motion controls like the monolithic Pokemon Go. I was one of the many people who won't be able to play that game mainly because I use a manual chair. Pokemon is significant to me personally, but aside from that, being excluded from a huge cultural phenomenon is a terrible experience that I just can't describe. <laughs> but what felt so special as I ugly cried with Tara <laughs> live for the entire Internet, was that finally we can point to something concrete, something beautiful that was designed for us, and more importantly, so clearly with us. Never before I felt a felt a piece of adaptive tech that's so gorgeous, so easy to use, and so damn mainstream. I cannot express how special that is to me. The hard work of the people behind the controller really shows. Inclusion isn't just a pretty word that happens at the end when a game or peripheral is released and the hordes get to play. It's something that happens at every step of the way for any given project. Inclusion is first and foremost accessibility, and the best accessibility happens when disabled people themselves are involved. You're probably starting to notice the theme here, and I am not going to stop hammering this nail until it's well and truly sunk. I actually brought my own tissues for a change, so <laughs> one second. <laughs> Speaking of controllers, we're going to step back in time for a moment. I remember the N64 controller being so incredible comfor- incredibly comfortable for me. It was the first time a controller felt like it was natural in my weird alien hands, in slightly unusual proportions. It was also new and pioneering. It was so weird that GoldenEye was developed in such a way to give players many options in how to use the controller. It was one of the first console games that I know of to do this. This was because not only was the stick thing new and players needed to be taught how to use it, it was actually a mystery to the developers on how any given player would even be able to use it. And thus, we had controller options. It was a long time before this spread across genres and there's still a lot of games that leave this out. But it's something that can be invaluable to disabled gamers like me. I played countless hours of Goldeneye on my couch with friends and also at Successor Perfect Dark, even though the layout I used was really different. Button remaps are a big deal for both physically and cognitively disabled gamers, even when disabilities are relatively mild. The Xbox Adaptive Controller won't change this and perhaps it makes it an even more pressing issue. Many PC games have key binding options, but it's often left out of console games despite console player needs being no different. And sure, on Xbox One and PC, PS4, we have the system level remaps, remaps now, but I, and I'm so happy for this. But it has problems and was only intended as a band-aid for games that drop the ball. Sorry to be harsh, but it's true. Button remaps are important for using assistive tech like, and controllers like the Elite or Adaptive, but a simple example is that sometimes I need to swap the shoulder buttons due to muscle weakness and chronic pain. The top buttons are easier to pull, have less travel distance, and are more natural to reach. When I'm forced to change this in the OS, it breaks the game UI. I get incorrect button prompts and menu navigation will be screwed up affecting muscle memory and things like executive function. Not to mention games have several modes like shooting enemies and catching fish. I mean, seriously, have we all noticed how many games are fishing lately? (laughs) I don't know why, why, but (laughs) sometimes I have to choose a lack of control and physical pain over constantly pressing the wrong buttons leading to confusion and frustration or vice versa. Remembering button setups and having to change them constantly from switching game to game is also a pain in the bum. State of Decay 2 recently had total button mapping on Xbox One. It was such a breath of fresh air and I want more. I will note that I did screw up the gameplay with some conflicting controls, but I was able to troubleshoot and fix the controls for myself. The misconception is that button conflicts will break games too hard, but I find the opposite is true, and then by being forced to fight on-screen prompts it breaks the game way harder. Wave the Passive Fist, which has been talked about a bunch today, was a small indie development from Household Games that had a disabled gamer consulting as a key part of their team from the very beginning. The accessibility that resulted from this was really something. They also continued to work with other players after release to try and patch some of the things they missed. It was the first brawl I've been able to play in years. Was I good at it? No, not at all. I died 26 times in the first three hours, and over 40 times on the second boss, but it was so much fun dying over and over and learning. It has relatively simple controls by today's standards, but I still struggled. Button mapping allow me to customize the game for me and my weird thumbs. Pacifist is also a great example because of the range of accessibility beyond button mapping. Difficulty was broken down into four sliding options such as enemy strength, number of enemies, timing uh, timing of button presses, and amount of health spawns. This goes a long way to removing barriers while keeping the game challenging. I kind of want to contradict some things that have been said about difficulty today. Easy difficulty modes without a lot of challenge and no achievements should not be a substitute for providing good options and in-depth accessibility. I get so frustrated with being told, well, you can play on easy, when there are other things that could have been done. Easy modes are important for many players, but please don't fall back on them at the cost of accessibility. The visual options such as background contrast and HUD enlargement and passive fist were intended for visual impairment, but I found them super helpful too. And this leads me quite nicely into my next point. I always like to note on days like today, that accessibility for one group can lead to accessibility for others. And you may be reaching more players than you realize by getting the basics covered. I'd hope it's pretty obvious after today that deaf players need good subtitles. But this is also true for autistic people like me. I process information in every form differently to most. I especially struggle when speech is coupled with animated lips. I have great hearing, but sometimes my brain can't process things properly. I need subtitles. I miss a lot without them. In real life, I tend to read lips or I can just ask someone to repeat themselves. Or you know, hilariously nod along and laugh at inappropriate moments while I awkwardly pretend I know what the hell is going on. But when subtitles aren't clear enough, whether due to font choice, text size, or contrast issues, my imperfect sight, dyslexia, and ADHD all collide and I'm likely to get even less information than if there were no subtitles at all. Similarly, sound is incredibly important for blind and visually impaired players. But again, due to being autistic, I live with something called sensory processing disorder, where I process sensory information differently. This isn't exactly easy to explain, but the short of it is too much of anything or everything, and I can get extremely overwhelmed. At best, I can't process information, think, or control a game effectively. And at worst, it leads to an embarrassing and socially inappropriate response that looks to those on the outside like an emotional and physical overreaction called meltdowns. What helps me is good audio design, but also audio sliders. The ability for me to independently control audio channels in a game goes a long way to avoiding sensory overload and helps me play better or at all. I found the audio design in Horizon Zero Dawn a little overwhelming. The machines, giant aggressive robots, had very dense mechanical sounds that were extremely loud and constant. The battle music was also very loud and aggressive. It's great, really great that there are studios making such fierce and frankly difficult games that match the depth of their storytelling and world building. I don't want this to change for anyone. I am so deeply in love with this part of the industry, I want it to stick around and grow. Perhaps it's interesting to note that I don't always know at first what I'm finding inaccessible about a game. When I first started playing Horizon Zero Dawn, I was having meltdowns and finding the combat almost impossible. I had to remove myself from the game and examine why. I assumed my main issue was my hands and skill, but it wasn't just that. My needs aren't always immediately obvious even to me. Sensory overload was exaggerating the steep difficulty curve of the game mechanics. Being able to adjust the audio sliders so that it felt more balanced for me and my impairments meant that it led to better access. Without this and other options, I would have had to stop playing the game, which would have been a tremendous shame because by the end it had become my favorite game of all time and I felt a deeply personal connection to it. More surprisingly, many games even today don't have any audio options at all, not even a master volume. Persona 5 and Detroit Become, become Human are two options, two examples. This can make them unplayable. I found that being able to adjust sensory output means I'm not forced to play on easy mode. I recently completed Bloodborne Solo, much to the pride of my Twitch community. <laughs> I beat most of the bosses in somewhere around two to five attempts each. To anyone not familiar with the Dark Souls series, it's not uncommon for a player to take tens or sometimes even hundreds attempt to beat a single boss. There's no difficulty settings in this game by design which I do not mind. But one of my personal techniques is to turn the volume of music and sound effects down and balance the audio so that I can remain calm and think clearly. This may not work for everyone, but it really works for me. What about the problem I was having with Dishonored? That first stroke was in 2013 and last year I thought I'd give Dishonored 2 a try, hoping the design had improved. I was really excited by the news of the female protagonist. I downloaded the demo and sure enough within about 10 minutes, I felt like I was spinning and I was going to barf. Nothing had changed. I still have a lot of difficulty in both third and first person games. Kona was a great little indie game set in the Canadian North that came out last year. This eerie little game had head bob toggle and camera sensitivity sliders. Head bob makes a first person game feel more immersive and realistic. I could totally get behind that. But being able to turn it off is the difference between whether I can play or not at all. As for camera sensitivity, you wouldn't think a console version of what is essentially a walking sim would need a sensitivity option. Yet for people like me, it can be essential. Sensitivity options are vitally important for both motor disabilities, for ease of movement, and things like motion sickness. Consistent sensitivity is also important. Other settings that can help us with vertigo and motion sickness are angle of view, background motion blur, and background motion blur. Perhaps even more important is to avoid lurchy and shaky camera movements. If this camera style is important to the cinematic feel of the game, more frequent cuts can go a long way for relief. Think of how TV and film often have snappy camera cuts and use single long takes sparingly. This isn't done in games, why not? God of War released this year and has been rightfully celebrated for its accessibility options. Sadly, I struggled most notably with something that's overlooked a lot lately. The camera had near constant handheld style movements zero cuts, and a lot of sweeping around and back and forth. It seems perhaps they were somewhat aware of the potential for sickness because there was an option to change the amount of sway, but unfortunately applied to only a small part of the game. So aside from motion sickness, camera shake which often goes hand in hand, also triggers migraines and muscle fatigue so severe that that I can't read anymore. It's a camera effect that I personally feel should be something akin to a sort seasoning rather than a source a game is doused in. But this is subjective and often down to the vision of the team behind any given game, which I do love about games. But what if it causes your audience physical pain that can last beyond the time they're playing? Monster Hunter World came out early this year. Now this game has some accessibility issues. Could they do better? Yes, pretty much every game could. But you know something that they did right for me? There's a screen shake toggle. Honestly, this is the first time I've seen this option in a really long time. It applies to the entire game, and meant I could play better and longer. I've had tons of fun destroying beautiful and probably endangered beasts. I'm feeling terribly guilty about the entire thing. A screen shake total could be beneficial to nearly every action game I play. I'm sorry, Coalition. (laughs) I've been looking forward to playing Gears of War since I visited your studio last year. But when I finally got an Xbox One a few months ago, I fired up Gears and I couldn't play. The screen shake is so consistent, I got a migraine. Otherwise, I found the accessibility of Gears really great. But this this can be a seemingly small thing that stops me from playing a game at all. Sea of Thieves is also unplayable to me in this vein. I did actually get tremendously seasick and migrainey that lasted for days even though I only played for an hour. It's not what I really want out of a pirate simulator. Now, my last example for accessibility today, sometimes harder to define and rarely talked about due to stigma. But it relates to executive dysfunction and memory difficulties caused by things like ADHD, which are surprisingly common. Open world games exploded onto the scene and now they dominate in a big way and across genres. They can be overwhelming to the most organized of people. But for those of us that have disabilities related to executive functional memory, we sometimes find them difficult to play at all. They can be overwhelming, stressful, and tiring. If the world opens up too quickly, I'm landed with too many repetitive and seemingly inconsequential quests, or the map is too cluttered, it's almost like I have no room to think. With few options to change things, I have little choice in managing it myself. Batman Arkham Asylum is a worst case example. I quit after the first hour and never went back. Going back to God of War, it was often confusing and left me with a lot of decision fatigue. Everything from map functionality, the controls, the skill trees, the complex modification system caused me difficulties. It was also compounded by small UI text and inconsistent language into the descriptions. I finished the main story, but these were likely unintended barriers. Some of these barriers come down to game design choices, but in being aware of potential issues, attention can be paid to things like Balanced pacing, comprehensive or optional tutorials, and consistent UI language. Also, options for things like map, quest, and inventory filtering go a long way to improving the executive function. Uncluttered UI with good UI text size also helps. Oh, sorry, went too far ahead. One second. <laughs> Neuroautomata is a wonderful example for accessibility. In my mind, they perfected minimal visual and world design, with multi-layered deep menus and a great range of ex- character and com- combat customization, which all somehow complemented multiple game modes and playable characters. The world was large and fairly min- minimal in design, but it was easy to find your way around once you knew the maps sorry, once you knew it, and the maps were very usable. The game flowed really well despite the complexity. There was also some very cleverly integrated accessibility options including an in-game NPC adorably explaining that certain settings like sensitivity could help with their motion sickness. I played Nier Automata to death. I got every single one of the 26 possible endings. Yes, every single one. I cried, surprise, at least three times and I thoroughly enjoyed every damn second. One last quick idea on executive function that also applies to reading comprehension and vision impairment. Let's get some more things like text-to-speech to help us access the amazing law you're all writing. Help us enjoy the incredible things you're writing for us. I've not seen this done yet in a single game, but it could blow, open the doors to that tech, those text-heavy heavy games, or games that don't have the budget for comprehensive voice acting. You could probably tell I could really talk about accessibility for hours. There are so many creative ways for game designers to include accessibility, or more importantly design inclusively. I know Bryce who's left, <laughs> damn it. He'll <laughs> be Yeah, <laughs> has told me before that designers don't like to be told how to design. So, I try not to do this. But if I had to summarize a single point, it would be that not all accessibility is for everyone, but that every single option or setting is accessibility for someone. Not every player may be able to tell you exactly how or why a game doesn't work for them. It's a skill I've had to develop and takes a lot of being vulnerable and address and stigma. I spent some time helping fellow gamers figure out what their barriers are and finding the settings that work for them. Figuring out what we need isn't always intuitive, but with time it can be. The more there are options for us, the more we can build our own cherry mode. Speaking of options, accessibility menus are fantastic and show a wonderful commitment to helping more players game, but they may not be the right solution on their own. Not everyone is like me and knows that they need accessibility. So, you could simply put these options in other appropriate menus or provide cute in-game guidance like Nier Automata. An indie game called Infernium had options recently that popped up when players hit new game. They had an explanation of what they do and what was intended for the initial experience without patronizing language. The ways the solutions are implemented are inevitably up to you, and the creative possibilities are pretty exciting. A fun fact about Infernium when it hasn't had its accessibility update on the Switch, it sold as many copies in a week as in the entire couple of months it had been released. If you start with talking to disabled people, including us in testing or even inviting feedback on a released game, you're on to big things. I know it's not always possible to do everything, so don't let the fear of perfection stop you from doing anything at all. By doing something, you're allowing more people to experience the game, sorry, by doing something, you're allowing more people to experience your game and that is more wonderful than I can put into words. While a game like God of War didn't quite hit the mark for me personally, the things they did for accessibility meant that some people were able to play a major action-adventure game they otherwise couldn't, and that was huge. Someone I know with muscular dystrophy played, completed the game ahead of me, and loved the experience of story immensely. It was so special to them and others in my community, it made it more special to me. I am so proud of everyone that works hard to make games more inclusive because it makes an enormous difference on people's lives. And so, while I'm up here, with any luck, if I'm doing my job right, I have your attention. I want to briefly touch on representation, which I do consider a separate issue. Inclusion is first and foremost about people's ability to play a game, but representation can matter. Now that we have more more disabled people than ever before playing games, I would love to be able to see more positive disabled players. Sorry, I'd love to see more positive representations of disabled characters. Everybody wants this. Gaming is an escape of sorts, but good representation helps us connect deeply, while bad representation alienates us. I'm proud of my disabled identity and in playing games, I don't want to necessarily escape who I am. So, let's rip off the band-aid and talk about some bad tropes first. I'm regularly seeing wheelchairs used as a tool for horror. Disability is scary to people, I get it. Disability is scary to me occasionally, and I've been disabled for quite a while but it's not always justified. Our bodies and the devices we use like wheelchairs shouldn't be intrinsically scary or used to signify fear. Bloodborne includes wheelchairs and wheelchair using enemies. On the one hand, it's cool to think that these enemies are fully capable of shooting me full of holes or stabbing me with a pretty sword. There was even one time when one of these enemies miraculously descended a flight of stairs without tipping over, all while continuously shooting me. I was absolutely aghast at the audacity. But if I'm being honest, and I usually am, I hate the use of wheelchairs in Bloodborne. The wheelchairs and the enemies seated in them are presented as terrifying harbingers of doom. The game even ends with the protagonist being trapped in a wheelchair. Despite the common narrative, for many of us, wheelchairs are tools that give us freedom. They're not prisons we're bound to or something to be afraid of. I really can't downplay the emotional work it took with me to get past this internalized fear. The games, TV, film, and books constantly tell me I should feel. I adore my wheelchair. When I started using it, I never felt as free and frickin' cool as I did when I started zipping around faster than I'd been able to move in two decades. My chair is also a bloody beautiful piece of engineering. It's not creepy at all. I am proud of the mental work I've done to get comfortable with who I am. I don't want that taken away from me by the same old tired negative of disability that reinforce the way other people see me. Now, this is the worst case scenario for me in terms of representation. The empty wheelchair, the terrifying bad guy, the idea that being disabled is the worst thing that could ever happen to someone. There's other negative tropes, sorry, there's other negative tro- tropes too, of course. Detroit Become Human has a wheelchair using character. First of all, he has a super cool wheelchair, which is something I've always wanted to see in a game. But at the same time, the type of wheelchair was totally inappropriate for the character given the profoundness of his physical disabilities. As the character was introduced, there were so many glaring errors to myself and my disabled viewers that we jokingly started taking bets on which bad trope he was. Either the bitter, angry, disabled, rich guy, or the kind but pitiable and depressed guy that, that always ends up dead in the end. It ended up being the latter. He had little to no autonomy, and relied on an Android to do every single thing for him despite his sporty wheelchair. The implication was a sad life with a little fulfillment. He wasn't fully fleshed. He was written as a sad burden to inspire empathy for the carer. Again, this trope reinforces negative ideas about how worthwhile our lives are something many of us work hard to change. Imagine if most of the time you saw someone who looks like yourself in a game, it was incredibly negative. It can be emotionally exhausting. Disability representation in games isn't all doom and gloom. Sometimes the protagonist is disabled. In both The Surge and Wolfenstein 2, the heroic main character starts out in a wheelchair. Both very different stories, but both had the same fate. While playing The Surge, it's not clear at first, and then suddenly it's revealed to you as you take hold of the controls, you're sat in a wheelchair. I was so excited, I squealed, and spent an hour wheeling around the first area where there was essentially zero game content because I knew the inevitable was likely coming. The wheelchair wouldn't last. There would be some kind of magical cure that meant he could walk. In The Surge, this takes the form of an exosuit, a common plot device in science fiction. Other times it's just a magical, um, other times it's just magical medicine. Even in a futuristic world, we're still likely to have wheelchair users. Cures for every disability is unlikely, and in some cases, we don't even want it. In terms of exosuits, they're not an option for people with disabilities like mine that make me fragile and weak. Note in the video, that while the wheelchair is an awesome representation of the kind we actually use, like mine, the artist forgot to give him a cushion, which we're never without. Usually the wheelchairs depicted in games are the kinds that haven't really been used outside of hospitals or airports in 30 years. I had really conflicting feelings about the start of the surge, but in the end I'll always fondly remember wheeling around an empty train station for an hour talking about how good it felt. Disability representation is rare and often inaccurate at best and harmful at worst. That's partly why I hope it happens more. While negative stereotypes can hurt and make us roll our eyes, There's still a thrill that can't be beat. The feeling of seeing even a glimpse of yourself in a game. When the tropes are outright negative, I'd rather that representation didn't exist. But at the same time, I recognize that in order to get better, we need to keep making mistakes. Other types of disability are represented even less than wheelchair users. Autistic people are rarely shown as anything other than a socially awkward boy or man that has little respect for other people's feelings and loves trains. I mean, I also do actually love trains, but never mind (laughs) this is why when I played to the moon on the recommendation of a friend without knowing at all that the disability representation had anything to do with me he simply told me there was was representation and I may or may not agree with it I cried surprise (laughs) I don't actually mean I got teary and still hold it together I mean I openly sobbed breathless worthless and completely broken and yes, as is my gaming life these days, this was live on Twitch for everyone to see. I was an absolute mess. It was so close to home and meaningful and deliberate. It unlocked emotions I had no idea were so intense. I know enough to constantly annoy creators that I want diversity. But I had no idea that when I finally saw myself how powerful that would be. Of course, the story was fantastical and not at all like my own life. But the respect and beauty and delicacy with which the characters were handled and explored was unparalleled. Inclusion is so powerful. Your ability as creators to tell stories is second to none. I deeply adore games for all the reasons I've given you today. But also because they are great forms of art and experience, no matter the genre. As storytellers and creative, creators of worlds, you have the ability to move hearts and souls like no other industry I know. The best stories about disabled characters are told when disabled people are involved. Well, it's very true that you can't please everyone with any single representation. By including disabled people in the process, your disabled characters will be so much more well-rounded and real than any imagined idea of what living with disability entails. It doesn't even have to be as deep as to the moon. I'd love to see more incidental disability. Including a disabled character in your game doesn't mean you have to talk about disabilities. In fact, in a way, I hope we can move beyond that. Just seeing a small sign that the character just happens to be disabled can be a really big deal too. Remember, anyone at all can be disabled regardless of their background, so why aren't more characters in our games? Overcooked is a silly and fun little game with multiplayer co-op. One of the selectable characters, a raccoon, is a wheelchair user. We don't know anything more or anything less, and we don't need to. They just are. Of course, this requires making the setting wheelchair accessible, but that should be happening more in game design anyway. There's nothing weirder than playing a game and noting the city I'm walking around in doesn't have a single disabled person in the crowd, a sidewalk ramp or that every single building has steps into it. Where did all the disabled people go? I'd encourage writers, designers, and artists to start small if you have to. Add braces on characters' wrists, elbows, and knees. Write stories that mention they have chronic pain. Make deaf, blind, and hard of hearing characters that aren't old people or savants. Give young NPCs more mobility aids like canes or crutches. They don't even need to talk about it. It just needs to happen. Give a non-evil character a limp every now and then, or one arm or eye. Give the good guys disfigurements. You see, I have tons of ideas for how you could go about including disabled people in games. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to happen. The secret is that you will mess it up. We're super diverse and you can't please us all. But the more we're represented in games, the closer we'll get in accuracy and and the more likely we are to see ourselves. That is more powerful than I could ever express here today. We rarely learn to do the right thing without making mistakes first. So it's dangerous to go alone, take us. It might seem overwhelming, it might seem a monumental task, but you're not alone. Disabled gamers like me want to help you. We are experts, include us. I'm not here to only awkwardly tell you how much I adore you, how I appreciate you, and how you have saved my life. but also ask you to include me and those like me. If you don't know where to begin reaching out to disabled players, start with those of us who are here today. Get in touch and you'll find we're a pretty tight-knit community no matter what our disabilities are. We're professional and approachable, and some of us have been at this a while and understand how development works. And of course, Mark told you earlier all about the Able Gamers Player Panel, so I don't need to do my usual plug here. Bryce from the Inclusive Lab and other members of the Disability and Games team, like Brandon and Tara, also have lots of contacts. Come find me at the social after we're done, or um, find me on Twitter, Twitch, or email. If you don't have this, I have business cards. Now, before I'm done, I just briefly want to hammer home a couple more things in summary. It's very brief, I promise. (laughs) If I were to generalize, I tell you that disabled people are great overachievers. Even if something is prohibitive or extremely difficult, we strive for a way. Progress has been made in society, but there's a surprising way to go. Life as a disabled person isn't easy. But while we work to improve things, I have to adapt and find ways to live a fulfilling life regardless of the barriers I face. This goes for for games as much as it does for anything else. With some of the most creative solutionists, we will find a way. Games are meant to be challenging. The challenge is half the fun and all the sense of accomplishment I get from playing them. One of the hottest things today is ultra-hard games. We're seeing more and more from platformers to action RPGs and this is great. I revel in the challenge, but it's nothing new to me. Most games I've played have been hard mode for me in some way as I work around barriers. Sometimes one of the mistakes people make when I talk about accessibility is that disabled gamers are just looking for easy mode. While difficulty options are important for some people, what I really want, again, isn't games that are easy. I want the challenge, I want to have fun, and I want to love the same games as my non-disabled friends, as much as they do. I want to feel like I matter to the industry I adore so much. For me, it's about quality of life. A lack of accessibility doesn't always equal zero access at all. It can more often mean that playing is painful, exhausting, extra frustrating, or just not very fun. Sometimes it's a reminder of how different I am to the majority of the world. I can left feeling nothing short of an outsider. Games like to make jo- gamers like to make jokes about things that break their immersion glitches, bugs, clunky UI. But as a disabled gamer, my immersion can be broken by heightening my sense of being disabled, of being undesirable, of being different. Again, games unite people. They provide a wonderful sense of community. Thousands or sometimes even millions of people getting excited about a game is incredible. The hype is real. It's really real and it's an absolute thrill. When a game isn't inclusive, what unites thousands or millions of people isolates me and people like me. It's a little bit heartbreaking, just a little bit to feel like you're on the fringe or outside of the shared cultural excitement. It's also frustrating when games are held up as pillars of accomplishment for the industry, but they weren't inclusive of disabled people. Immersion broken and we're right back to feeling isolated and like that thing everyone else adores just isn't for us. But when games get it right, when they level the access when we are included, whether directly or indirectly, it is magnificent. Suddenly we're enveloped into the fold, We can talk with our non-disabled peers about how fun, challenging, exciting, or downright damn beautiful a game is. We can play alongside them. We can laugh at our failures, and we can cheer at our hard-earned wins. We're no longer the disabled gamer, we're just a gamer like everybody else. Games that provide us the options we need, and are designed with us in mind, not only give us great adventure, profound experience, and fun, They include us in a community that otherwise we aren't a part of which is brilliant. I deeply adore this industry and everything it does for me. I'll be loyal to the grave to accessible games and inclusive studios and developers that reach out to us. I'll promote them to death and defend their honor everywhere I set wheel. For real though, I want games to be the best that they can be. I don't want them to fundamentally change. I want them to keep growing and moving forward. And what games to be for everyone regardless of gender, race, identity, or whether they're disabled. So much has been accomplished in the past couple of years. The controller that just released, the fact that you're all here today, the, the room I think is like twice or three times as big as last year. Like That's just incredible and I'm so proud. The foundations we have are solid. So let's keep building until we have a thriving and inclusive fully realized ecosystem. This quote I have up behind me, well actually it's beside me because I'm reading, but it's so apt. I just can't help but leave you with it. Work as if you live in the early days of a better world. Thank you for having me up here, for listening to my story, to my gripes, for have, about why gaming is so important to me, and about my desires for the future. I hope I and my fellow gamers today have had a little fuel to keep your fire bright. At the very least, I hope you've, I've reassured you that no matter what, I love you all. So, uh, thanks. I think I'm out of time, because I talked for a really long time, but <laughs> thank you.
1: If you're open to it, we do have time for a few questions. Oh,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Sure. All
1: right. All right who's got the first one? Anyone. <laughs> Come on. All right. Here we go. All right. Let me. Let me get over there. Hey, questions, statements, we'll take them. Feedback. Feedback. Hi, I just want to say I unironically love you
0: <laughs>
1: without a doubt, and you are also the absolute first time that I've actually seen autistics go up and talk about the gaming industry um, from a larger perspective, not just like on Facebook with the smaller groups. So, I, I love you,
0: that's all. Thank you. Also, I love your hair too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You don't have
1: to clap. No, no. <laughs> Other questions, comments? Yeah, here, Clark.
0: Hi, Clark Lee, a lease manager uh, for the. Uh, our names changed, so GGPD. Uh, my question is, um, well, first, thank you for everything that you s- shared, and also um, that you spoke about the representation piece, because um, as a member of the the transgender community, I constantly am asked um, about representation and if negative representation is still a good thing and um, I know you spoke about that some more but is there do you have some other ideas of again h- how you don't police the representation but encourage it as well do you know what I mean like yeah yeah I know what you're saying because like everyone in games is working hard and it's a hard job and even coming up with stories is hard. Um, and we've kind of been socialized our entire lives to kind of appropriate everything around us in order to tell stories. And we're told that as writers, you don't need to have lived an experience in order to write it. And I think that's kind of not true. I think it's unfortunately a myth that has been told to empower certain people in having those jobs for so long. Um, And I'm very political about these things. obviously not fitting the, the, the main person out there and kind of represented it in any given story. Um, I think it's okay to police things, to be honest. I, I think it's hard because you're criticizing something someone's worked hard on. I do think there are ways to do it without being like you're an asshole. Like I don't think we have to do that. I do think that people need to be more um, empathetic to the person we're talking to. And, and put ourselves in, the, in our shoes and, and recognize that you're all working super hard and you're getting it wrong, but you are trying. Like, I don't think David Cage is like the biggest asshole in the world, but he fucked up. He fucked up big time with Detroit Become Human. And it's like the third time he's fucked up. And so, like, I think if creators aren't listening, that's when, you know, let loose. But give creators the benefit of the doubt and just try and remember that they're human and we all make mistakes and that it's okay to say, this hurt me, please do better. But at the same time, not say don't ever do anything involving me ever again, because people need to learn. And if you try and shut people out of of doing their job, they're not going to learn, things aren't going to change, you can't like wholesalely take everyone that has the powerful positions and put the the marginalized people in those positions. So, at the same time as working to be hired in those roles, we have to work to help the people that are already hired in those roles. And yeah, we only do that through empathy. So, yeah. I hope that answered your question. (laughs) Okay, good.
1: (laughs) We have time for one more question. I'll, I'll ask one then, okay. Okay. Um, um, I want to drill a little bit more into the concept of mistakes. Mm-hmm. At Microsoft, as a lot of you know, we're trying to embrace this notion of fail fast. We want to learn, make mistakes, learn from them, and move on. And yet, <clears throat> we do live in a society now that is where people are really afraid of offending one another. Yeah. And I have personally seen Inside Microsoft and outside of Microsoft, people being afraid to take risks in terms of representation and in terms of simple accessibility, yeah. because they're so worried that some trolls are going to latch onto it, or they're going to offend one person accidentally, and they're going to make you know make uh, be you know raise the hackles of people who follow them. Um, what is your thoughts? You made a comment that you you have our backs, as it were. Is that the predominant feeling amongst gaming uh, disabled gamers? Would you say? Do you think people are really, truly willing to accept um, well-intentioned mistakes as long as they continue
0: to see improvement? I do think that amongst disabled people, probably because we are so marginalized, we. Face, we face so much stigma and so much um, things that cut us out of society that we have learned. Some of us are angry. I think that's justifiable, but at the same time, we've learned that the ways to change things is not necessarily anger first. It's not everyone, um, unfortunately. I do think that the toxicity in games is something we should address and it's something that is hard for everyone that's in this room today. Everyone that comes to an event like this has face toxicity and it really frickin' sucks. I was chased off Twitter by Gamergate. Like it, These things happen to all of us, and I think that we need to recognize that people that are justifiably angry, angry and upset with being excluded are not the people that are toxic and using the word offended. In my experience, the only people using the word offended are the people that, that that word should not even come close to their mouth. They're the people that don't want diversity, they're the people that don't want inclusion. Just today I had someone during today's event tweet at me whose son is profoundly disabled and some troll on Twitter is telling him, well, he should just play Forza 3 because Forza 3 has their or whatever in it, even if the new one doesn't. And it was said in like a really gross, gross way that we're used to seeing. Um, I do think that there are a lot of disabled players that have the game industry's back. Those of us that don't, there are people in my community that, that all the time just like, this is so fucking easy. Why haven't they done this? And because I have a position, like my partner's a programmer in tech. He works at Slack, which you all use, I'm sure. And my friends have been developers for so long. I've, I've worked with studios. I've been in studios. I know the entire process. I've worked from the beginning to the end. I've consulted the whole way. I know the process, I know that like getting subtitles right isn't easy. Not everyone does. It looks easy from the outside and I know how that can look easy from the outside, so I try and bridge that. And there are a few of us, that it's a small minority of us, that try and bridge the kind of angry people that don't understand development with the people that do. And a lot of us are community leaders. We are people that do this for free. We spend a lot of our time talking people down and being like, okay, let's just back up. I've spoken to this developer, they're doing their best. Like God of War, for example, I had more frustrations with that game than anyone I know. Um, And yet they did so much for other disabled gamers. And I, as I always do with every game, posted like a big long Twitter thread about accessibility and what they got right and what they got wrong and where my barriers were. Because I find that helps developers a lot when we don't have official channels. And So, then I had one of the programmers uh, speaking to me behind the scenes, which obviously as developers, you're not allowed to do publicly necessarily, but you can come to us and some of us, if we're doing something that looks that professional, it's probably because we are professionals and we can be that bridge for you and we can we can be understanding of your priority list and like the fact you've got like frickin' fifty bugs on day one, you know, like shit, there's this glitch in the first cutscene and it hangs for like one percent of people and they're the most vocal one percent of people. Like and we get that. And I I think that Community leaders and everyone here today, all the disabled representatives here today, are those people. That's why we do things like this, um, and we will will tamp down the anger. But just just try not to. I just say try not to confuse the the gross toxicity with the justified anger, and try and. I know it's hard to when you've worked really hard on something to take criticism. It's it's it's. It, I've been there. I was a creative for 12 years in a very very public forum where I got a lot of negative feedback on what I was doing and it made or broke whether I had a paycheck and that sucks. It sucks with this torrent of abuse that you get but just try and pick out the few voices like people that say I hate text games. They might not be saying I hate text games. They might be saying I have dyslexia and text games are really exhausting for me and try and think about the way they're saying it and if if you can't, then find someone like me and I'll filter for you. (laughs)